How are you out there? Praise God. Whew. I think you got your tithes worth out of me already. Thanks, worship team. They do a good job. We're in Genesis 39 tonight. We're going to jump into the Word. What a chapter this is. Wow. Anybody who thinks the Bible's boring has never read it. It's alive. It's exciting. It's relevant. It's relatable. It's all of those things. And Father, tonight we thank you for that. We thank you for this chapter. We thank you for the principles you're showing us from the Old Testament and how all of this is so relevant to us and we can learn by application and by the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit, how to be successful in navigating the things of life that have tripped up those that have gone before us. God, we can learn from others. And that's why you allow us to see the details and the, the darkness and even the unvarnished glimpse into people's lives that might not even seem flattering. Father, if it was us, we might think, oh Lord, don't put that in there. But Lord, you put it all in there for us so we can learn, so we can grow, so we could be more like Jesus. And I, I pray tonight that's what you do in my heart and the hearts of my brothers and sisters tonight, that you would train us and teach us and fill us with wisdom so that we would not fall into the pits that the enemy digs for each of us. I ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Genesis 39, my lovely, faithful assistant will now come read. She only charges me like $35 for this. It's a bargain. Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, brought him from the Ishmaelites, who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him, and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant, and he made him overseer over his house and all that he owned and put in his charge. It came about that from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he had owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge, and with him there he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. It came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here my master does not concern himself with anything in his house, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the household was there inside. She caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, 
He has brought in a Hebrew to make sport of us. He came in to lie with me, and I screamed. When he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. So she left his garment beside her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with these words, The Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came into me to make sport of me, and as I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Verse 19, Now when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him, saying, This is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the jail. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail, so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Chapter 39, scene out of a soap opera. Last time we were together, we looked at the previous chapter, and we looked at Judah, one of the sons of Israel, one of the men who would be ahead of one of the tribes of God's holy people. We examined him and his life and all the immoral choices and bad choices he made and uh, coming into situations with immorality. In chapter 39, we swing back to Joseph here. And, you know, remember, to Joseph's family, he's dead. To Jacob, to Israel, his son is gone forever. But Joseph is still alive, and nobody knows that. But Joseph is finding, you know, his destiny as he walks the path of God's redemption for his life. Everyone thinks he's gone, but now we're getting a glimpse of what's going on with him. In verse 1, when he was thrown in that pit, and then Judah decided to sell him, and his brothers thought that was a good idea for profit, they made some money off him. When the Ishmaelite traders grabbed him up, they brought him right to Egypt, and they quickly turned a profit for Joseph as they sold him. Now I'm guessing none of us today can say that we know what it's like to be bought and sold. Am I correct? I mean, sometimes maybe you've worked in businesses, you've worked for employers where it felt like, you know, they mishandled you in such a way that that was the case. But Joseph was literally sold by his brothers and bought by somebody else. Think about that. Going from the favored son with the choice food, with the choice clothes, with the, with the charmed life, to being, here's a guy now on the block. All right, let's start the bidding at. And Joseph had to stand there. What a traumatic situation for a young man. Enough to imprint on him. Uh, for the rest of his life, he'll remember that being bought and sold. Now, none of us really can relate to that in, in, in the way that Joseph can, and it's a dramatic situation, yet every one of us as believers should know what it's like to be bought because Jesus Christ purchased us with his blood on the cross. I don't think you heard what I said. Let me try this side over here. Jesus Christ bought us with his blood. He redeemed us. Gucci, he paid the price for you. He paid the price for me, amen. I don't know about you. I don't, I, I don't remember being sold to sin, but when I came out, I was a sinner, and the devil had claimed to me, but Jesus Christ bought 
and paid for me. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, it says, or do you not know that your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. What a powerful scripture, one that we could certainly spend weeks unpacking. Yet understand, uh, while there's so much there in 1 Corinthians 6, I want you to understand, you and I have been bought and paid for it by Jesus Christ. The next time the enemy tries to lay claim on you or steal from you or deceive you or tell you you're something that the Bible says you're not, listen to me, tell him I've been bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. So here is Joseph, and he's sold, and he's bought and paid for, not by Jesus, but by Potiphar. Potiphar is a high-ranking officer in Pharaoh's service, and he literally pays for the right to have Joseph. Now, this is a bad thing, and it's an ugly thing, but I want you to see it's also a good thing. If you're going to be in somebody's service, you want to be in somebody's service who's rich and powerful and connected Come on, it's good to be with people who are connected. Hey, I'm Italian, I'm saying connected. You know, you're part of the family now. So I mean, if you're getting bought, you don't wanna get bought by a poor person who, I mean, just the table scraps from Potiphar's table would be good eating. You know, think about it. So it's an ugly situation, but God always has, you know, something in every situation that's ugly, that's a good thing. And he's working things out for us. So, you know, he's purchased by this guy. He's connected. You know, who you're under makes a difference in life. Can I just say that? Who you're under. If you work for a boss that, you know, has no regard for you, sees no potential in you, uh, doesn't value you, that puts a lid over you. Not with God, but with that man. Hello? Come on, I'm preaching on Wednesday night here. And, you know, a person that you put yourself under or that you find yourself under, whatever the situation, can either be a lid or a launching pad for you. Examine who you're under in life. And if you've put yourself under someone that is a lid for you, remove yourself from them. Huh. God help us if we put ourselves, I mean, and you know, it could, be, it could be in a ministry. It could be, you know, you go someplace and you move away from here and you go to church and it's a lid. It's a step backwards for you spiritual. And, and, and you see where, you know, you and I have to be very wise about who we put ourselves under. And when we find ourselves under someone that's a lid and not a launching pad, we should be very careful about how much of ourselves we pour out to that situation. Enough said about that. Verse two gives us the proverbial secret to success. The Lord was with Joseph. Stop. That's it right there. Pastor, how do I succeed? How do I prosper? How do I get ahead? How do I reach my potential? How do I use my gifts? How do I maximize what I have? The Lord has to be with you. This is what I, I struggle so hard to get across to young people, particularly my sons. It's not what dad can do for you. It's not what your upbringing can do for you. It's not what your abilities can do for you. Every young man, I'm gonna be in the NBA. I'm gonna be in the NFL. You know, most of us, those dreams of being in the NBA, those died at conception. <laughs> the athletic director looked at me when Riley was playing basketball and he said, well, dad, it doesn't look like you're six foot seven. 
So, you know, you pretty much got to be six foot seven to play college ball. So, you know, right away he wrote my son off. So some, some of those dreams died at conception, right? We tell him, you can be anything you want to be. We lie to him. You can be everything God wanted you to be. But you can't be anything you want to be. <clears throat> I know that grates us a little bit, but that's what I'm here for. So he's, he's bought by this man, and the man's connected, and he has access to, to uh, you know, the, the chiefs of Egypt. He has access to Pharaoh. The secret to success here is that the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, verse 2 says. You know, if we feel like we're not succeeding in life, we need to ask ourselves these two questions. Number one, have I bought into the wrong definition of success? Number one, if you feel I'm not succeeding, I'm not successful in whatever area, it could be in your marriage as a parent, in your business or, or in your profession, I'm not succeeding. Well, where did you get your definition of success? If you got it from the world, you're gonna be chasing your wind, the wind and your tail for many years. Because the, what the world calls success is not success for the believer. You know, most of us, if we put our spreadsheet, our balance sheet out, you know, what we have in the bank and what we have in savings and what we have in liquid assets and all this stuff, most of us wouldn't be very impressive on paper. But some of us have treasures in us that are, the, the, of what they can produce is immeasurable. See, God's definition of success is that we walk in his ways and we live a life that's pleasing to him and we accomplish his unique will for our lives. We sing, you know, better to be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than, you know, but do we really believe that? I don't want to be a doorkeeper. You can be the doorkeeper. <laughs> you know, you and I have to understand if we bought into the wrong definition of success, we're going to be frustrated and the enemy's going to make us feel bad about ourselves and he's going to try and tell us we're losing and then we're going to chase things to make us feel successful in the world's eyes that are going to bankrupt us spiritually. So first of all, if you're not feeling successful, ask yourself, whose definition have I bought into? And number two, we have to ask ourselves, is God with me? Look what it says here, that, what, that the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. We, you know, we have to ask ourselves, is God with me? Because if he's not with me, why not? Is it because unconfessed sin? Is it because I'm in habitual sin? Is it because, you know, my life is not lining up with his call. I'm doing something. I'm going in the opposite direction that he's telling me to go in. You know, I'm the prophet, Jonah, and he says, go to Nineveh. And I go, Nineveh's that way. I'm going this way. And I take the first submarine ride ever recorded in history. <laughs> if I'm not successful, if I'm not being blessed, if I don't have favor, why not? See, th these are things that people will never ask themselves and they'll go off on tangents in the wrong directions for a lifetime and come to the end of life and just be frustrated. So Joseph's secret to success was that the Lord was with him. And we're gonna see that the Lord is with him in every way, everywhere he goes, no matter where it is. Verses three to six provide a snapshot of what God's favor looks like on a person's life. When you look at three, three to six here, you see this is what favor looks like. Listen to this. Now his master saw 
His master saw, his boss, the one over him in, in, in this situation, this horrible situation. He saw that the Lord was with him. Did you hear that? When the heathen can tell that God is with you, come on, God is with you. He saw that the Lord is with him and, and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hands. So Joseph found favor in the sight and he became his personal servant. So he's got favor with God, favor with man. He becomes his personal servant. And listen, he made him to oversee his house and all that he owned and put him in charge. It came about that from the time, listen to that, from the time he made him overseer in the house and over all that he owned, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. The Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in his house in the, and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge with him. There he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Okay, let's stop there. That's a snapshot of what favor looks like. You say, well, pastor, where does that come from? When God is with us and we're right with God and we're doing God's thing and not our thing. I wish there was louder amens because we, we need to really affirm that because we, we do our own thing. Oh, God help us. Potiphar saw God's anointing on him and it equaled favor. Potiphar saw the Lord prospered everything Joseph touched and that equals favor. Potiphar put him in charge of everything and when he did, everything increased. That's favor. Potiphar put his blessing and his affirmation on this young Hebrew slave and he gave him rule over his entire house. It says, accept his food. I can kind of relate to Potiphar. You know, you can have anything but the menu. So it's an incredible position that he finds himself in. And up to verse seven, everything's going pretty well for a slave boy sold into Egypt. He's living in a, in a rich household. He's in charge of everything. He's pretty much in the lap of luxury. He has favor with the person that he serves in such a way that he has no restrictions and he has rule over everything. At this moment, Joseph may have had it better in Potiphar's house than he did in his father's house with a whole bunch of brothers who hated him. Here he comes with his multicolored sissy coat. Here he comes, right? So it's so interesting what God can do when God's favor is on a person. Now, in, in verse 6b, there's an important detail about Joseph, and I want to take some time to talk about this here. The Lord, you know, brings this up, and it, it's something that we've seen as a, as a theme before. Um, it, it basically says, so he left everything in Joseph's charge, and there with him, and he did not concern himself with anything except his food that he ate. And it says this, now Joseph was handsome, in form and appearance. You know, if you need that translated, I mean, he was really good looking and he was put together like, you know, like you read about, <laughs> right? There again, another guy, a specimen, a, a, a good looking kid, you know, cover of muscle and fitness. He's, he's well built. It said he, he's good looking and his form, talking about his stature. Now, we've seen over and over again here that, you know, <sighs> It's, it seems like here in the Old Testament that, you know, appearance is so important and we can relate to that in some levels. In the Old Testament, God used a lot of people in key positions who rose 
to power and leadership. And we see this in Israel's history. Saul, remember, Saul was good looking, head and shoulders above everyone, a specimen, the people's choice. David was handsome and good looking. Remember, when we're talking about David, it literally said, you know, David was handsome and ruddy and he had beautiful eyes. I mean, when the Bible starts to name features, you know, rock hard abs and just, (laughs) you know, I mean, God's making a point here. Joseph, also really good looking. Daniel, when he goes into captivity, good looking, handsome, young Hebrew guys. So there is an element here of where, you know, God seems to use people who are physically stunning and good looking. Uh, He uses people like that. Yet it says here about Jesus in the New Testament, listen to this, for he grew up like a tender shoot, Isaiah writes of him, like a root out of the parched ground. Listen, this is the description of Jesus. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we would be attracted to him. Wow. In the New Testament, it seems there's a shift of things. In the Old Testament, it's the eyes and the, and the looks and all these things, but here comes Jesus, and basically, you know, he's beautiful to us. But God was saying he wasn't anything that would catch people's eyes. The description of the Apostle Paul in the, in the New Testament was basically that the historians of the day said he was a short, fat, bald guy who had a speech impediment. Come on, there's hope for some of us tonight. You know, I wish we had a picture of like some of the disciples, you know? Peter with seaweed on his head, just all... there's there's a time where God uses physical things and physical stature, and there's a time where he doesn't. And I see some patterns here. God can use physical beauty, but let me say this. Sometimes physical beauty and attractiveness can be a curse. And all you good-looking people out there know what I'm talking about. You say, (laughs) I need a drink. This boy's good looking, and in verse seven, it's a curse to him. You know, because if he wasn't good looking, maybe Mrs. Potiphar wouldn't have noticed him. But verse seven says here, it came about that after these events that the master's wife looked at him with desire, uh-oh, and she said, lie with me. Now, she, she didn't mean, you know, make up a lie with me. She meant, you know, <laughs> first they lie, then they lie about it. That's the way that goes. But she says, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. He has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I. Wow. And he said, he's withhold nothing from me except you. Wow. You know, now here's a young man who's a good looking guy. He's obviously attractive. Mrs. Potiphar, you know, she notices him. And right away, you know, she picks him out and she goes after him. Now notice the mistress of the house there, the lady of the house, he's basically saying, I'm in charge of everything, you know, and I'm over everything. And she doesn't argue with him. And he says, but you know what? You're, you and me, that's the one thing that I don't touch. Now she's lustful and she's unfaithful and she's sexually aggressive towards him. She desires Joseph. That's what that word encompasses all that there. She corners him and she demands that he sleep with her. Now, what a precarious position to be in as a slave. 
What this is, is it's sexually aggressive abuse of power. You know, and we should be able to understand how that plays out in our modern society. People in positions of authority and in power, people who are wealthy, people who have a good team of lawyers, figure they can do whatever they want and pretty much get away with it. Human nature hasn't changed. Technology's changed. Society's changed. Our infrastructure has changed. But the human heart has not changed. It's still deceitful. It's still wicked. It's still lustful. And unless Jesus Christ heals it, it, it produces these kind of sinful things. But what a position for Joseph to be in. What a shameful abuse of power by Mrs. Potiphar. Joseph went from being in the perfect position with everything going his way to now he's in a really tight spot. Because whether he says yes or whether he says no, there's going to be hell to pay as a consequence. Ever been between a rock and a hard place? Well, Joseph is right here. In verses 8 and 9, he refuses to give himself over to his master's wife on the grounds that it would be a huge betrayal. Notice, the young man has discipline, and he has integrity, and he understands authority. He understands what he's been given. Even though he's a slave, he's appreciative of the master's confidence in him. And he sees it as a huge betrayal. You know, th this is a really good character attribute that we see manifested in him here. It it's something that, you know, is a rare commodity these days, and that's loyalty and appreciation. Most people are not loyal. Most people do not appreciate the benefits afforded to them at the expense of others. Yet this young man does. He has great character. He has great loyalty. He displays great integrity. Verses 10 through 12, Mrs. Potiphar doesn't just go, oh, well, you know, he's not interested. I'll go bother the butler. No, she's persistent. I guess Mrs. P means Mrs. Persistent. Persistent Potiphar, she won't take no for an answer. She stalks him, she corners him day after day. She keeps coming to him. She finally gets to the place where she corners him and she literally grabs his clothing. Now what, is, what does Joseph do? He slaps it in B for boogie and he gets out of there. Which is what I want you to remember while you're laughing now because there's certain situations that we find ourselves in where that's exactly what we need to do. We don't need to pray about it. We don't need to talk about it. We don't need to try to talk the other person down. We need to put our Holy Ghost running shoes on and get out of there. Amen. Okay? Amen. That's right. Because listen, if you stand there and dance with the devil long enough, he'll talk you into it. Yeah. So he, he literally, from her grip, writhes himself away and escapes, and she's left there holding his garment. Now you would think, okay, it's getting serious. This is aggressive, and you know what? He, he, he's escaped here. But at this point, verses 13 through 18 show us Mrs. Potiphar has had enough of his rejection. She has had enough. At this point, I can tell you her ego is bruised, and she flips the switch from being sexually aggressive to becoming a false accuser. Come on, all this stuff is relatable. All this stuff is current even in our society. We see every time everyone runs for office or is appointed to a position or wants to go on the Supreme Court, we get a whole quartet of everybody coming out of the woodwork saying all the things that they've done and all the accusations. 
And we have to entertain all these things. Do you know the last Supreme Court justice that we named to the court, I think four out of the five accusers now have recanted their statements. Where did you hear that? Did you read it on the front page? Was it a retraction on the back page by the auto sales? It's quiet now because this is all relatable. Remember I said, oh, this is Old Testament. This is old time. This is ancient. This is human nature. And it still plays itself out all the time. She's mad now. Who is this little worm, this slave, that he won't give me what I want? So she goes from sexual aggressor to false accuser. She flips the switch. And we all know what it's like dealing with a scorned woman. And it gets ugly. Why are you laughing in the front row? (laughs) Verses 10 and 12 give us the picture. As she spoke with Joseph day after day, remember she was persistent and he didn't listen to her and would not lie beside her or with her. Oh, just cuddle with me. Yeah. Now it happened one day that we went out of the house to work and none of the men of the house were inside there. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. And when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, she called to the men of her household and said, see, he has brought this Hebrew here to make sport of us. He came in to lie with me. But when I screamed, when he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. So she left his garment beside her until her master came home. Then she spoke to him with these words, the Hebrew slave whom you have brought to us came into me to make sport of me. And I raised my voice and screamed and left his garment beside me and he fled out. Wow, what a great story. If you like fiction, she goes from, you know, oh, I desire you to now, you know what? I want to destroy you. And I want to point out one thing before I unpack some of this here. Those who want to control you and can't will eventually flip the switch and want to destroy you. Okay? Let me just show you the dark side of human nature here. A person who wants to manipulate you, a person who wants to control you, a person who wants to put a lid on you and you don't allow them, eventually they're going to try to destroy you. I've seen it over and over again in every venue you can think of. Manipulators that can't get their way, whether it's Jezebel or whatever spirit's behind it, if they can't control you, then they'll flip the switch and they'll try and destroy you. And they'll lie and they'll create up false narratives and they'll make up stories and they'll besmirch your character and they'll be vitriolic and they'll tell any idiot who will listen to them. (laughs) And there's no shortage. So Mrs. Potiphar goes on a scorched earth campaign. Now she's gonna destroy this slave who wouldn't give her what she wanted. And she, you know, she spins this very believable false story. I mean, it sounds good, doesn't it? And, 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 you know, she screams so everybody can hear it. Why? Because she's creating false witnesses. See how fast the switch flipped? Wow. An Academy Award, she probably got one in hell. She screams to make sure everybody hears it. You know, she creates this story. She makes false witnesses. And then she waits for her husband to come home. And she has all this time to line up, you know, her accusers to, to line up the story and to pitch it. And she pitches it to her husband. This has to be so frustrating for Joseph. Have you ever been just hammered by life 
And not only did you not do anything wrong, you did the right thing. You did the right thing. You, you kept yourself pure. You didn't touch the unholy thing. You didn't do the thing that offends God. And then somehow, some way, instead of being rewarded for that, instead of being celebrated for that, you're assassinated for it. Wow. You know, when we find ourselves in situations like this, we shouldn't pretend, you know, we're the first one that this ever happened to. The righteous are always persecuted and they're always assaulted and they're always lied about and they're, they're always you know, facing these things. Even after everything that he has done here in Potiphar's home, look what happens in 19 and 20 when Potiphar gets home. I mean, this is the, this is the part that you know, really breaks my heart and we're gonna talk about it a little bit. It says, now when his master heard the words of his wife, so Potiphar's home, she spoke to him saying, this is what that slave did to me. His anger burned. So right away, he believes her. In verse 20, so Joseph's master took him and put him in jail in the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in jail. So Potiphar comes home, and even after all of what Joseph did for him, even after the fact that Potiphar trusted him with everything, even though he saw that the Lord was with him and that everything he touched turned to gold, he believes his wife and not Joseph. Now, I can understand that to a degree here. And, and she, you know, she has a good angle and she has good leverage, but it's got to be disappointing for Joseph. What else could I have done for this guy? What else could I have done right? I was faithful. I had integrity. You know, uh, even after all of that, he's not believed. It's so difficult in life when you do the right thing and you have the right heart and you're being honest and you're not believed. When people believe lies about you rather than give you the benefit of the doubt. Guilty until proven innocent. It's wicked when evil people fabricate lies about the righteous. It's wicked when evil people create false narratives about people and make up stories to destroy their character. The Bible talks about those who assassinate character and use their words like, you know, and, and their tongues like the, the, the poison of vipers and asps. Understand, God sees all of this and he hates the lies and the unjust scales and he hates the lying witness. Jesus himself stood at a a mock trial and they had witnesses to testify against Jesus. Wow. Sadly, we live in an age where all of this stuff happens all the time and with the technology that we have to deliver stories and spins uh, with a 24-hour news cycle with uh, Twitter and Facebook and all the media. I mean, it is just amazing how you can saturate literally the entire world with, with lies and with stories literally in a news cycle. You know, some of us, you know, maybe you're not picking up what I'm laying down here, but what I'm saying, if someone decides to destroy you, they can do it pretty quickly. Maybe you've never been in that position, and I hope you never are. Maybe you, you've never been falsely accused, and I hope you never are. But listen to me, we live in a, in a, in a biased, litigious society where everybody wants to sue and everybody wants to pound the flesh. The ignorant masses lap up the fake news, and everybody believes the lie. And it's no mystery to me how the Antichrist is going to control the world. <laughs> it's going to be really an easy use of technology that's been tested for decades. Despite being blameless, 
Joseph winds up in prison. And one of the few innocent guys in jail, he's there and he's done nothing wrong. And so there are people who wind up locked up who didn't do what they were accused of doing. And that's a really sad, frustrating situation. Nobody speaks up for him in the house. Do you mean to tell me that nobody saw what this woman was doing day after day? Nobody walked in, nobody heard a glimpse, nobody, I don't believe that for a minute. I believe a lot of people knew what was going on in that house, but they wouldn't dare speak up for a slave and contradict the master's wife. They're again an abuse of power. God will judge those who abuse what power they have. The only positive thing here, nobody speaks up for him, nobody challenges the story, everybody lets it go down. The one glimmer of hope is here is that if you notice, it said he was put in the king's prison. Now, that was probably the best prison to be in if you were gonna be in Egypt. See, I want you to see, I want you to see these little silver linings and things, okay? Because if he would have got thrown into, you know, the worst prison, sent to Siberia, we probably never would have heard from him again. But we're gonna see, even in the bad situation, he's in a bad situation, he's in a pit, but they decide not to kill him, they sell him. He's in a bad situation, he's being sold as a slave, but he gets bought by a guy who's connected. He's in a bad situation, he's thrown in prison, but yet he's in the king's prison, and he's gonna have the ears of some people that we're gonna see are gonna connect him to Pharaoh and launch him into his destiny, that he's gonna go from the pit to the prison to the palace. He's a lucky guy, no? God was with him, and he was righteous, and he was blameless, and he was locked up. Verse 21, he's in jail, and God's favor, just like we talked about, it follows him. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. Here he goes again. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail and whatever was done there, he was responsible for. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Man, you can't stop this guy. And I want you to see that wherever he goes, I mean, he's in charge. He's in charge in jail. He's in charge in Egypt. <laughs> it's the Lord's favor. I know many of us would look at this and go, well, you know, this is just one guy, one time in the Bible. It's a, you know, it's a story. You know. Listen, you and I can have that kind of favor on our lives. Mm. Maybe I should try that. How do you say that in Spanish? Let me try it in a different language. <laughs> Besides Marion, the rest of us can have that favor. <laughs> we can have that kind of favor on our lives, amen? And we need to believe God for it. All right. Joseph gets put in charge of everything. Everywhere as he goes, you can't keep this guy down. People see God's favor on him. They put him in charge. He's got no oversight. He's in charge of everything in the prison. Prison, Regardless of his status, whether he's a slave or whether he's in prison, he rises to the top and becomes in charge because it's the anointing on his life. You and I cannot escape the anointing that God's put on our life if we stay right with him and stay connected to him. No matter where we wind up, we're gonna rise to the top. So he's in prison, he's finding his favor there. There again, I have no idea of the emotional state of this young man, but 
All that he's been through already is enough to crush any one of us. But God is still with him, and it's not over yet what the chapter is. So let's bow our heads. Father, we just thank you tonight for these principles. I pray that as your children, as your people, we would learn to live a lifestyle that attracts the favor of God on us, that we would be like Joseph, no matter what the enemy threw at us, no matter what we're going through, no matter even when we fall flat on our face, Lord, you pick us up, you dust us off, we go right back on the path, and we'd find your favor in all that we do. Father, I pray for the areas in all of our lives where we're like Jonah, where we refuse to submit ourselves to the call, where we say we've had enough or we've done enough or let somebody else do it, but the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance, Lord. So as long as we draw breath, we are to be fruitful and productive. As long as you give us strength, we're to be fruitful and productive. Father, Joseph's life and experience destroy every excuse we could possibly make. I've blown it, I'm rejected, I've been sold, I'm a slave, I've been put in prison, I can't, I'm disqualified. All of it falls to the ground. Because the truth is, if you're with us, we're still in the game. So help us, Lord, to get in the game and to be fruitful wherever we are in Jesus' name, amen.